Now, I need to be very transparent with you. The style in which they're singing, it is definitely not my style. I want you to know they seem a little bit dorky to me, but I do like the outfits that they're wearing. <laughs> so. But at the same time, even though their style is a little bit not what I'm used to and not what I like, the words that they sang were very powerful. In fact, as I listened to them on the radio, not seeing them at all, I said to myself, wow, they spoke deep to my heart. Such meaningful words, allow me just to repeat some of them because I think that sometimes we can overlook the words as we're watching them singing. But listen, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's all right, because I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough, and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Bring your doubts, bring your fears, bring your hurt, bring your tears. There'll be no condemnation here. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. He's greater. He's greater. And I'm learning to run freely, understanding just how he sees me. And it makes me love him more and more. He's greater. He's greater. You see, as you and I enter into John chapter 8, we notice that there's a conflict that's taking place. The Sanhedrin, they had been meeting. The people were divided in their opinion as to whether or not Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah. After hours of debating, the crowd got weary and they began to disperse, returning to their homes to rest their bodies, to rest their minds, to rest their voices. And then early in the morning, as the sun was making its appearance, lighting up a brand new day, Jesus Christ, he re-enters into Jerusalem. He went into the temple area. He sat down and he began to teach the people. Curious onlookers gathered around him, for they wanted to know more about this person who had caused such a stirring within their community. And as they listened, they became distracted by a commotion that was taking place some distance behind the temple court. Slowly, the sound of the distraction got louder and louder. And before long, the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought before Jesus Christ a woman who had been taken in the act of adultery. The men who surrounded her, they crudely and rudely and brutally, they flung her to the ground. All this time, the crowd was looking on. They noticed that her hair is messed up. They noticed that her clothes are in disarray. One can hear almost the caustic, the self-righteous quality of their voices as they stated, this woman has been taken in the very act of adultery. As you and I behold the scene that is before us, we may discern that this woman was filled with anger and hostility. I feel that what we're observing of this woman really was a cover-up of the shame in which she was feeling. You need to notice the words of the Bible again. This is what it says. They caught her in the very act. And so I asked myself the question, had they gone into the room where the sexual act was actually taking place? Perhaps in doing so, they had seen her nakedness. You see, one would assume that this would not have bothered her, a woman of adultery, but I remember while serving in Cambodia, talking to a young woman who had been rescued from prostitution. She made a statement that revealed something I had never really allowed to cross my mind. She shared these words. 
I never ever felt comfortable disrobing before a client. In fact, I always felt shame and I felt guilty when I was told to parade naked before leering eyes. And therefore, I sensed the anger of the woman who had been flung before Jesus Christ was really a cover-up of the shame and the guilt in which she was feeling. In an abrupt manner, you and I, we are introduced to a sinner. In fact, not just us, but the large crowd, some of whom were her neighbors, some of whom were casual acquaintances of hers, others who knew her from her visiting the marketplace. This large gathering of spectators added to her shame and the guilt in which she was feeling. And I surmise that they really, this crowd, they really didn't care that she was embarrassed. They were mainly curious, and therefore they craned their necks to see and to stare. You see, dear ones, yes, she was guilty. There is no doubt about this fact. What she did was sin. In fact, Jesus Christ himself identified what she did as sin. The religious leaders who had dragged the woman before our Christ, they knew the law very well. They had read it often. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress, they are to be put to death. And as you and I review the law, we should recognize that there's a problem with the scene in which you and I are looking at. Something is missing And then it hits us. It's not something that's missing. It's someone who's missing. I asked the question, where was the man? You see, this caused me the question, really, what were the true motives? What were the real motives of these men, these religious leaders who were supposed to be the pious religious leaders of that day? The very fact that they did not produce the man indicates to me that they really were not there to make sure that the law was being enforced. And thus, as we have been introduced to a sinner, we are also introduced to the scheme of the woman's accusers. They were there to tempt Jesus Christ in order to accuse him. J. Vernon McGee wrote, they were right about the law of Moses. There was no way of toning it down. She should have been stoned. But what they were putting, what they were doing, was trying to put Jesus Christ on the horns of a dilemma. And thus we are introduced then to the scheme of the religious leaders. These leaders were seeking to trap Jesus Christ. They wanted to accuse him. They wanted to condemn him. They didn't really just want to stone the woman. They also wanted to stone Jesus Christ. But then what took place? It did not go the way that the condemning religious leaders had hoped for. Our Lord then gave the requirements for being the woman's judge. In essence, he comes along and he is saying, you have the right to judge others when you meet that requirement. And what is that requirement? It is the requirement of sinlessness. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And as I reflect upon these words, I recognize the following things, that I cannot be in the stone-throwing business. I'm afraid that often those in the church are stone-throwers instead of grace-givers. And slowly, one by one, I notice that the religious leaders, the woman's accusers, they walk out of the scene, leaving the woman still sprawled on the ground, a lone figure before Jesus Christ. 
What a contrast that we're seeing here. The guilty and the guiltless. The adulterous and the advocate. The sinner and the savior. You see, this was a very dark moment in the sinful woman's life, but in a darkness that surrounded her, the light of the world bathed her sin in the radiance of his forgiving presence. The only one who was qualified to throw a stone had none in his hand. And with firm gentleness, Jesus Christ says to the woman, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, dear ones, I want you to know that his forgiveness also meant that she no longer had to hold on to the shame and guilt that accompanied her sin. I contend that shame and guilt continues to linger in the lives of many believers that are causing them not to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, with God himself. I believe that there are three reasons for that. I believe, number one, that self can cause some to hold on to false guilt and shame. One psychologist told me, there are people who are not willing to surrender the past since they fear entering into the unknown future. Perhaps some hold on to the guilt and shame because they do not truly believe in the saving and forgiving ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, they stand at the door of forgiveness, yet they do not enter in. Well, as many of you that have been in my classes and know me you know, to some degree, you know that I like getting to my office early. My regular routine is to get to campus usually by around 5.30. Well, two weeks ago, again, I came to campus early, got to the entrance of Noggle, went searching for my keys and realized that I had left them home and they were still lying on a kitchen table. It was chilly. It was drizzling out and I wanted to be indoors. Well, Lori, who serves on a maintenance crew, was already hard at work in a building. I could see her vacuuming in the, uh, you know, one of the rooms there. I ran to the window of the classroom, which is close to where Lori was working and vacuuming, and I began to pound the window like a crazy man. I began yelling at the top of my lungs, but the sound of her vacuum drowned out the sound of me yelling and pounding on that window. After a while, I realized that I was not getting anywhere, and so therefore I decided to quit. I decided that I was just going to wait in hopes that someone would come soon to let me in, allowing me to get out of the cold and the wet. Ten minutes passed. Fifteen minutes passed. Thirty minutes passed. By this time, I want you to know I was shivering and feeling pretty miserable. 45 minutes later, Lori looks up and saw me standing outside, looking like a drenched rat, came to the door, opened it, and asked, why didn't you come in? The door was unlocked the whole time. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dear ones, he offers us forgiveness. He wants to rid us of all shame and guilt. But too many are still standing outside, not believing the door of, to victory and freedom really is open for them to be able to walk through. You see, all of us have stories. We have our unique experiences from our past, which have in essence shaped us to be the people that we are today. There have been blessings, but at the same time, there have been blunders. We have some happy and memorable moments, and we have also those painful and sometimes traumatic memories in which we desperately wish to forget. We all have a story. 
Sometimes the not-so-good parts of our stories can leave us with large, heavy bags of guilt and shame that affect our relationship with God, self, and others and keep us from that abundant life that has been promised to us by Jesus Christ. You see, too many are holding on to guilt and shame, carrying around heavy, poisonous bricks of shame and guilt that inevitably seep into all of our relationships. Far too many believers feel dirty, worthless, and ashamed of themselves, even after they have already approached God for his forgiveness and have been forgiven. It's as if they themselves, they fill their bag with shame and guilt that Christ tells us that he has already taken care of. You see, dear ones, guilt is what takes place when a person realizes their failure. False guilt is where the sin has been repented of and forgiven, and yet still one feels guilty. I'm talking about false guilt this morning. True guilt prompts a person to repent and turn from their sin, but false guilt, I want you to know, I believe is ripping apart the lives of many who call themselves believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing, society can also cause some to hold on to false guilt and shame. An interesting thing is taking place in Cambodia today. Many young girls who are being set free from prostitution are returning to it after only a short period of time. The reason why? One young lady put it this way. Those I knew would not let me forget my past. I want you to know that fashion has changed over the years. What was in style when I was your age It's been out of style now for many, many years. The in thing when I was in my first year of college were bell-bottom pants with the flared legs being so wide that one could jump out of a second-story window and not die due to the pant legs acting like mini parachutes. I recognize that's, that's an exaggeration, but preachers are allowed to exaggerate. Now, the other in-style item of clothing, though, were elevator shoes. I had a pair of elevator shoes. They were white and black, white patent leather contrasted with black suede. And being elevator shoes, white patent you know, shoes, they added four more inches to my five-foot-nine-inch physical frame. Now, I want you to know when I wore those shoes, I felt like a giant. My thought, though, when something like this, my thought, and this again is going to show my age, I felt if Herman Munster could wear elevator shoes, so could I. I loved elevator shoes. But because I only had one pair, my eyes were always on the lookout for the second pair that I was saving up to buy. And the day finally came when I spotted the next pair that I knew I just had to have, black patent shiny leather. They were so sleek looking. And they would have not just added four inches to my height, they would have added five and a half inches. I just had to have them. But when I looked at the price tag, I realized that I didn't have enough cash to purchase them. 
but I knew I just had to have them. So what was my strategy to possess them? I took off the old canvas sneakers I was wearing. I put on the shiny black patent leather elevator shoes and acting as casual as possible, nonchalantly began approaching the exit doors only to hear a loud booming voice behind me that scared me spitless saying, hey you, come back here. What do you think you're doing? Stammering, I replied, what do you mean, what am I doing? Well, why are you stealing from us? I'm not stealing. And in the middle of my denial, the store detective yelled at me and said, yes, you are. Look at the shoes that you're wearing. And as I looked downwards, I realized that in my haste, one of the price tags was still attached to what I was wearing. I knew I was in big trouble. And thus I resorted to the only thing that made sense for me to do at that moment. I began crying like a baby and pleading like a madman. I want you to know, crying can get you out of a lot of trouble. And my tears must have touched the detective's heart, for he told me, I'm going to let you off the hook this time, but if you ever... I didn't wait to hear the rest. I yanked the shoes off and ran as fast as I could away from that store. I told a friend what had happened. He then proceeded to tell someone else what had happened, and that person proceeded to tell someone else what had happened. And before long, every time I met up with these quote-unquote friends of mine, they would remind me that I had been a crook. Even after I became a Christian, I could not get away from being identified as having been one who was almost sent to jail for stealing. It was like having the label, sinner and stealer and crook, pasted on me over and over and over and over and over again. The third thing that holds people holding on to false shame and false guilt I believe is Satan himself. You see, the enemy of our soul aims at distorting the picture we have of ourselves. Neil Anderson in his book, The Bondage Breaker, writes, next to temptation, perhaps the most frequent and insistent attack from Satan to which we are vulnerable is accusation. By faith, we have entered into an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as a result, we are dead to sin and alive to God, and we now sit with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. In Jesus Christ, hear what I'm saying, we are important. Can I share? In Jesus Christ, we are loved. And so when we approached God for forgiveness, you need to hear this. He forgave. It's like having one's backpack totally emptied of wrongdoings when we approached God for forgiveness. But Satan then comes seeking to render us virtually inoperative by deceiving us into listening to and believing his insidious lies and accusing us of being of little value to God and to other people. The evil one comes to fill our bags up, weighing us down so we no longer have freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. His desire is for us to walk in false guilt and shame wanting us to look at our past failures to the point that we begin to see ourselves as failures, as total failures, which is the complete opposite of what we really are, provided that we have repented of sins and turned to God Almighty. 
causing us to feel defeated is Satan's way of keeping us from confidently approaching God's throne and having an intimate relationship with him. You see, dear ones, I recognize that our first parents, Adam and Eve, left the mark of guilt on everyone who has come after them in history. But I also recognize that Jesus Christ can, and Jesus Christ has made this right for us. God desires to take our verdict of guilt and hand us his verdict of innocence. You see, this is the unbelievable good news of the gospel. The sin that causes us to live in separation from God, it is taken by Jesus Christ in exchange for his own perfect record. When we are in Jesus Christ, God the Father looks at us and does not see our guilt. And therefore, there is no reason for us to need to hide in shame. He sees in us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our standing is changed from sinner to just as if I have never sinned. You see, dear ones, the greatest news for me was when I came to the place of realizing the good news of the Bible truly was true, that Jesus Christ's death on a cross allowed me to be forgiven, took away my guilt, and did away with my shame. Well, dear ones, hear this. In Jesus Christ, we can be set free from false guilt and false shame. Micah tells us that God will cast all our sins into the bottom of the sea. Terry Savelle Hoy shares the following. Years ago, during a worship service, my pastor came to me and said, there's something that you're not letting go of. He then pleaded with me, you have got to let go, let go. Foy says, I have to be honest with you, because at that moment I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. That night in my room, I started crying as God began to show me that it was the false guilt and false shame of my past that I hadn't let go of. I had come to God asking for forgiveness. I knew the Bible says that by doing so, he will remember our sins no more, that he really does forgive us of our sins when we ask. But I was having a hard time letting go of that shame and that guilt. Foy then continues, have you ever noticed the shame and guilt that it will cause you to carry yourself differently? He then answers, they do. A lot of times people who are feeling guilty or ashamed will have their head down trying to cover their face. But don't you think it's interesting that Jesus Christ is called the lifter of our head? You see, Jesus Christ just doesn't want you to walk around feeling ashamed and guilty for what you have done in the past, which you have already asked him for forgiveness for. For he then shared, I approached God again and asked, Lord, what do I do? All of a sudden, I saw myself standing at the foot of the cross. All I could see was Jesus' feet. The blood that was dripping off of his feet began to land on the top of my head. As I looked up at him, the blood was hitting my head, and then it began to pour all over me, and I started crying. And then I heard him say to me, as the blood was dripping on my head, that he was washing the memories away. He was washing the torment from my mind. As the blood got to my heart, he said, I am the healer of, broken, of the brokenhearted. I will restore your soul. And as the blood got to my feet, the residue of shame and false guilt was gone. And he said, I now see you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he came and handed me a clipboard with some keys and said, I have work for you to do. Here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Go 
and fulfill that assignment. And then Foy makes an admonishment. He comes along and says, don't waste another day of your life reminding yourself and reminding God of something that is over. As soon as the memories of the past roll over in your mind, say out loud, I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You see, I have been forgiven. I no longer need to carry with me false guilt and false shame. That we need to see ourselves through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then Foy says, it's time for you to fulfill the assignment that God has for your life. But you must first get over your past. Don't play around with the past, the false guilt and shame anymore. Because you need to understand, God has already forgiven you. And when he forgave you, he also wants you to know you don't have to carry guilt and shame. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 103, verse 12. It reads, as far as the east is from the west... As far as God has removed, as far as God has cast out, as far as God has thrown our transgressions from us. And I want to add along with us, when he has cast those sins, transgressions from us, he also threw away, wants us to throw away false guilt and shame. So how does this apply? When I was in Africa, in Mozambique ministering, I came along and shared about some of the things that I had done in my past, and a pastor came to me by the name of Badui. And he said, Umfundisi Jim, it seems as if you're still holding on to a lot of the past, aren't you? A lot of guilt and shame. And I had to admit, yes. And he said, you need to get rid of it. Otherwise, you will never be fully effective as a missionary in this country or for God himself. I said, what, do you, what can I do? He said, well, why don't you come along and remember, look at Psalm 103, verse 12, which I just read to you. It comes along and says that God himself casts our transgressions away. He also casts our false guilt and shame away. He then came along and told me, he said, what you need to do is, and Sarah's going to model this for us, you need to come along and take a piece of paper, and I know this is going to be hokey for some of you, but he said, come along and write on that piece of paper, not what you did wrong, because that's already been forgiven, but put down either false guilt or false shame, put it on that piece of paper, and then I want you to crinkle it up, and then, just as God himself has cast our transgressions away, he said, I want you to do the exact same thing. Horrible shot, but do the same thing. <laughs> Can I share? This is the invitation as the worship team leads us. I believe that there are many, or some of you out there, that need to deal with this whole issue. You've been forgiven already. But some of you are still holding on to false guilt and false shame. That God has said, I already have taken care of that. I'm going to ask that you stand up. You were handed a piece of paper when you came in today. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to either, if you're understanding that God spoke to you through this message, and you know that there is false guilt and shame that you're dealing with, and you need to get rid of it. Dear ones, there are two bins there. There's a bin up here. Can I share? It's all right. I don't have to clean it up. Others do. So it's all right for you to throw stuff. I want you to cast those things away from you. And then recognize and stand on the promise that comes from the Almighty. I have forgiven you, and you need not carry shame and guilt. Will you respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit?